You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Welcome back. We continue on our series of where do we go from here in regards to certain Buffalo Bills position groups today with something that's near and dear to my heart. Those of you who have been listening to this show for a long time will know that in the endless struggle that is coverage versus pass rush, I am team coverage and specifically am a defensive back enthusiast. And because of that, I ascribe to the Dick Geronian theory that you can never have too many cornerbacks and you can never have too many cover men in general. And the Bills have an interesting sort of situation at cornerback this offseason that I feel like is kind of flying a little under the radar. But we're going to talk about it and specifically where the Bills should go, in my opinion, in the CB2 and cornerback in general direction for this upcoming year. But before I get there, I want to say thank you. I got a bunch of reviews that showed up for the Buffalo Rumblings podcast feed, specifically talking about the Bruce exclusive, the way I had requested that you do so coming into this offseason to help people find this show and all the other shows on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. And I appreciate that very much. I wanted to make sure that I acknowledged that you guys did that for me. And it means quite a bit to me. So thank you for doing that. If you have not done so already, please don't hesitate to give the pod a review on your favorite podcast app. I appreciate that quite a bit. So let's talk about cornerback a little bit. The Bills defense last year, now I can say last year because the year is pretty much over, was 10th in net yards per attempt against, 20th in passing yards against, and 14th overall in yards per play against. After having really good pass defenses in 18 and 19, the Bills defense in 2020 was clearly a step back, and that included their performance against the pass. It wasn't just the pass, but it was part of it. Then the AFC Championship game came along, and the Bills played a lot of too high zone coverage 
in an effort to slow down the Chiefs' offense. And although a lack of pressure by the front four has been pretty much the talk of the offseason thus far, particularly after the Buccaneers were able to achieve pressure in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, the cornerback position, particularly cornerback two, outside corner, should probably be getting more shine than it is. Josh Norman was signed for 2020 for a max $6 million one-year contract, and his signing, which you know I was not overly fond of, ended up resulting in less than stellar play. And the cupboard is pretty much bare after the Bills released EJ Gaines at CB2 because currently Levi Wallace has not been tendered at the time of this recording, which means your option for CB2 right now is Dane Jackson. That's it. That's all you've got. So that becomes somewhat of a pressing need. So how do the Bills address it? Much like I have in all of these previous situations, I have multiple steps to this, in my opinion, as to how the Buffalo Bills should attack it. The first one is and should be obvious, especially coming from Bruce, and that is let Josh Norman walk. One of the things that lacking speed at outside corner does is it limits the options you have on defense. We have talked about this before. Traits give you options, and more options are better than less options. Athleticism is a significant player trait, and it gives you options. Being forced to play zone simply due to lack of options makes your defense more predictable. Do you really want a more predictable defense against a Kansas City-type offense? Is that what you think will help you? Predictability that is born out of necessity due to lack of traits? Josh Norman being experienced in the system doesn't help you if he's unable to physically execute some of the things that you would like to do on paper to help slow down an offense. Buffalo Rumblings recently did a projection on the contract for Josh Norman at one year, two and a half million, up to $6 million max. And even at that number, I would still rather have a later round rookie or a free agent who has more athleticism to burn than Josh Norman. The second thing that I think the Bills should do is tender or re-sign Levi Wallace. Now, you may be thinking to yourself right now, Bruce, you just said that you didn't want to bring back Josh Norman because he lacked athleticism, but now you're saying tender or re-sign Levi Wallace. Sure, I need a floor for the position, and I would prefer the floor to the position be Levi Wallace, who spent more years here and is younger than Josh Norman. If you tell me that I need to have a floor at the position, a safety net, if you will, where at least I know I can get passable sometimes play at that CB2 position, then I would prefer it to be Levi Wallace versus Josh Norman. And I don't think Levi Wallace will command a contract that would ever have a max of one year, $6 million, even with incentives. So the right of first refusal tender is $2.133 million. Or you could sign him to like a two-year, $2 million per deal. Both of those things I would prefer to re-signing Josh Norman. The second round tender is $3.259 million, but I don't really think that's necessary. I don't think people are going to be beating down the Bills' door to get Levi Wallace. But I would like to have a safety net at the position. 
I would like to have a floor where if none of the other things I want to work out, work out, at least I know I have Levi Wallace who can provide me semi-competent play on and off at the CB2 position. I understand there are limiting factors there. We've already talked about those. But as a floor, I'm okay with it. The third thing that I think the Bills should do at CB2 is pretty obvious, and it's let Dane Jackson compete for CB2, which Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have already talked about that. Levi Wallace has always shown two particular flaws to me as a cornerback that have kept him from being the clear long-term answer at CB2. Lack of top athleticism and competitiveness at the catch point. Dane Jackson can potentially help eliminate one of those concerns. I was happy with Dane Jackson's competitive aggression at the catch point, albeit limited reps in 2020. And although his athletic traits are only marginally better than Levi Wallace. Let's not for a second think that Dane Jackson is a massively superior athlete to Levi Wallace because he's not. He tested a little bit faster. But the ability to clear up one of the issues that has plagued Levi Wallace, I think matters. So if I can't get a ceiling then I at least have a floor with Levi Wallace and I have something maybe higher than that floor with Dane Jackson. Do I think Dane Jackson has the upside to be a long-term CB2? Probably not. I wouldn't count on it anyway. But I do think if you think of it like, if you think of it like a chart, if Levi Wallace is your floor and Dane Jackson has a potential to give you something a little bit higher than your floor, now we're building with something. But that means you need a ceiling. And if the ceiling is long-term CB2 starter that you would want to sign to a second contract for a market deal, I don't think either of those people are Levi Wallace or Dane Jackson, which means there's a third option necessary from an acquisition standpoint, which is draft a cornerback high. Now, historically, Sean McDermott's defenses have had a good player at CB1 and a reasonable get-by guy at CB2. We're going to talk about this tomorrow on the Locked On Bills podcast with Joe Marino. And Joe did an entire pod about this last offseason where he went through and talked about the Sean McDermott defensive cornerback pairings. There's enough data to call it a trend. Now, there's not enough data to call it an MO, like always hard, fast rule of operation a modus operandi where this is just the way they do it all the time. But there's certainly enough data to call it a trend for certain. So because of that, I would be surprised if the Bills decided to draft a cornerback high, but I would prefer that they do so. But that, you know, that's pretty much par for the course for Roos. I would have preferred that they do so last offseason too, but they didn't. They waited until the seventh and picked Dane Jackson. But we have players like Tyson Campbell, Israel Mukwamu, and I think those are players you could potentially get on day two that would be a good ceiling for CB2. And if you manage to do all three of these things, you have a floor in Levi Wallace, you have a floor with a little bit of potential with Dane Jackson, and then you have a ceiling with reasonable athletic traits. And when you're going up against high-powered offenses, it'd be nice to have that type of depth. All of a sudden, CB2 and cornerback in general looks a lot better 
with Wallace back, Jackson back and competing for CB2, and a draft pick there. Now, I understand the Bills have other needs. This is one of the reasons why I'm team trade down, ladies and gentlemen. In theory, I'm going to be team trade down. Just get used to it as we head into draft season. I don't really do a lot of mock drafting and things like that before free agency because stuff changes so unbelievably drastically at free agency. I mean, for goodness sake, we were talking this particular time last offseason about what the Bills were going to do at pick 22. I did not intend for that to rhyme. It just kind of came out that way. But hey, happy accident. Then the Bills trade their first rounder for Stephon Diggs and everything shifts. And the free agency comes along and the Bills put a lot of money in the defensive line and everything shifts. So I will be doing a lot more of the mock drafting things, posting things on Twitter, social media, talking about draft prospects and things like that. I'm working on that stuff now, but I'll focus in on it after free agency because I'll be able to focus in on the needs that still remain for the team. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We've got some almighty takes to get to, ladies and gentlemen. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We've got some almighty takes to get into. As a reminder, you can email me whenever you want at IamBruceAlmighty at Yahoo.com. And then I will try to kind of sparse these into the offseason so we can get to them when necessary. We probably won't have an episode entirely devoted to them very often, but I'll be willing to pick at them every time I have an opportunity because I want to make sure that you guys get the topics you want talked about, talked about. Craig says, I'm actually listening to Herd Mentality on Locked On Bills right now as I write this. Don't worry, though. I'm all caught up on the Bruce Exclusive Podcast. First off, I'm not worried. As far as I'm concerned, Joe Marino's the GOAT when it comes to Bill's content creation and media. He's a professional. I'm not. So I never get offended when my listeners listen to good people and they listen to people who have such a level of talent that we have in the Buffalo Bills community with media and content creation. I just don't have the ego necessary to say, yeah, you shouldn't listen to them. You should listen to me instead. (laughs) Like what? Like what is that? What is that? Seriously? How blessed are we? as Bill's Mafia, to have the media and content creators that we do. And everyone's going to have a flavor that particularly appeals to them. So absolutely no need to apologize to me for that. He says, I have not heard anyone bring this fact up yet, and I digest a lot of Bill's content. The $180 million cap cannot happen. Some teams just can't get that low. For example, the Saints are $75 million over the 180, and the Eagles are 49 over the 180. The Saints couldn't get that low by cutting everyone due to dead cap. Plus, if I'm not mistaken, don't the Saints still owe Breeze money even if he retires? Second, I wanted to mention that I would enjoy someone being hired onto Buffalo's staff as a run game coordinator this offseason. Lastly, 
Being said, you have to have a team that can win in the division before you can worry about the playoffs or the Chiefs. I wish someone would have rebutted that by saying, but if you have a team that can beat the Chiefs, more than likely you have a team that can win the division. Okay, so let's start with the cap thing first. The Saints can get there. The Eagles can get there because there's more ways to get there than just cutting things. They can do restructures. They can get there. It's going to be painful to get there, but they can get there. So I do think that there's a high probability that the cap will be between 180 and 185 this year. And there will be teams that will struggle with that. But I have seen no indication at all that the NFL is inclined to change to accommodate for a couple teams who are drastically over the salary cap. I see no indication that the NFL is going to do that. They're just going to say, hey, sorry, guys, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And I think it's going to be a good lesson, to be honest, on kicking the can down the road works and works and works. And it totally does work. You can do it. We've talked about this before. The cap is manipulatable and should be manipulated. You just have to be a little careful about over manipulating it or it puts you in a tough position. As far as the run game coordinator, I wouldn't mind it either. But if it was going to happen, it seems like it would have already happened at this function of the offseason. So I do think that Brian Dable, who has had good running offenses in the past, should be given an opportunity to have that under his umbrella without having a separate voice for the run game in his ear and helping manipulate that. Because Brian Dable, people, how quickly we forget. When Brian Dable came to the Bills, the narrative on Brian Dable was, well, he can coordinate a run game. But what about his passing offense? He's never had a good passing offense. And of course, my rebuttal at the time was he's never had a good quarterback, like ever. And so Josh Allen in 2020 was the best quarterback he's ever had. But Peyton Hillis and Jamal Charles and Reggie Bush had really good years under Brian Dable's run game. I think it's just a marriage of run-to-pass concepts that's important. And the Bills kind of went a little zone-heavy in 2020. I think we talked about this a little bit when the Bills released Quentin Spain, and then we never talked about it again for some reason, where we mentioned that Spain might not be a good fit in what they want to do in the run game moving forward. And we saw that kind of play itself out later on this year when the Bills used a lot more zone than they used in 2019. So I do feel like that had since backfire a little bit on them. And so because of that, I think that maybe some adjustments to the scheme are needed. And I do think that some better blockers are needed up front. I mean, not having Brian Winters and ideally not having Ike Butker would potentially be a benefit. You know, getting Cody Ford back, who's a good run blocker, I think will help specifically at left guard. Please, for the love of all that's holy and sacred, do not hit, put him back at right tackle. Leave him at left guard. Let him develop next to Deion Dawkins with Mitch Morse on the inside. I think that would be beneficial. And the comments about Bean. If you can beat the Chiefs, more than likely you have a team that can win division. I agree with you. If you have a team that can beat the Chiefs, chances are you could probably win your division. Now, I will say this. Matchups make fights. The type of team necessary to beat the Chiefs qualitatively is probably not the same as the Patriots or the Dolphins. They win different ways. The Dolphins this year won with defense, turnovers, special teams play. That's how they won. 
The Chiefs, historically, over the last couple of years, have won with explosive offense and occasionally some opportunistic defense. It is a little different qualitatively. So I will say that as far as talent level, if you have enough talent to beat the Chiefs, then you probably have enough talent to beat the Dolphins and the Patriots and the Jets. But it's not just about talent. It's also about qualitatively the things you do well and matchups. So I understand where Bean was coming from with that particular comment. Adam says, Dear Bruce, I am writing this immediately after finding out that J.J. Watt is set to be released. I believe, nice pun, that Brandon Bean should seriously kick the tires on signing J.J. Watt. Watt would immediately upgrade our pass rush by upgrading the emotional intensity of the D-line room, which is something I feel like we lacked this season due to the loss of Lawson and Phillips last offseason. I think Bean should sell Watt on the championship potential and process-oriented culture the organization has nurtured. Due to the unexpected financial situation of this offseason, I think Bean can use a winning in culture and a championship potential to get discounted upgrades with veteran players who have already cashed in on a second contract and are now looking to win in the waning years of their career. Think Jared Allen's Super Bowl run in Carolina, which Bean and McDermott were obviously a part of. I realize this means letting Milano walk, but I think there are better values to replace him in the draft than there are to sign him and find immediate impactful edge rushers in the draft. As always, thanks for what you do, Adam. Well, since Adam sent me this, there has been reports that not only are the Bills interested in J.J. Watt, but the interest is mutual. Kimberly Martin of ESPN reported on her Twitter that that was the case. So it's definitely something they're looking into. And I talked about it a little bit on a Breaking Buffalo Rumblings pod this past Friday, where I said, yeah, I'm fine with JJ Watt. I think that there's a reasonable upgrade to be had, even though I accept the fact that he has been unable to play as much as we would have liked over the last five years. But JJ Watt still would have been either the best or the second best, depending on how you view him and Jerry Hughes, pass rusher on this team and is, in my opinion, an upgrade from Mario Addison. Earlier in the year when Mario Addison was playing well, you could make an argument at that point, at the trade deadline and things like that, that Mario Addison was probably playing better than J.J. Watt at that point. But over the course of the entire season, I still think J.J. Watt played better. So, If there's an opportunity to upgrade pass rush, especially with someone who could potentially kick inside on third downs, I mean, that gives you a lot of versatility. That gives you an end who can play tackle in Watt. It gives you a tackle who can play end in Quentin Jefferson. It gives you A.J. Epinesa, Jerry Hughes, Ed Oliver, Star Latule back at his typical one technique spot. That gives you some pieces to move around. If you can't come up with a good defensive line rotation with those pieces, then maybe it's on you at that point. So I'm all about adding J.J. Watt, assuming that the price is right. I have zero interest in a 20 to $25 million contract for J.J. Watt, which is what elite rushers are getting right now. But it's, as always, a value proposition. What you give versus what you get. So I'm completely on board with the idea that J.J. Watt, in theory, as long as I know what it is he's going to cost. That's it for now, ladies and gentlemen. Come back tomorrow. Make sure that you've listened to last Friday's QB Stew podcast before you do, because tomorrow we're going to talk quarterbacks, what the Bills should do at quarterback. Moving forward this particular offseason, we're going to talk Matt Barkley. We're going to talk Josh Allen. But until then... 
That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.